It is indeed a pleasure to have this privilege to play here for you. And we, we intend to give you a very fine program, so just settle back, relax, and enjoy the moment. 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 Welcome back to a special edition of Mic'd Up on OWN Radio. This is your daily COVID-19 news update for Lowcountry listeners. I'm your host, Mika Gadsden. Today's date is Monday, April 6th, and the time of this recording is currently 5.41 a.m. And ever since I wrapped up my Friday update, myself and I can imagine a number of you out there listening have been anxiously awaiting word from our governor regarding a statewide shelter-in-place order. This is the news that broke after I recorded on Friday. And this is the latest briefing from Team South Carolina from the Emergency Operations Center in Columbia. A couple of big things to come out of this briefing from the governor today. So as of Monday at 5 p.m., there will be more business closures in the state, things like furniture stores, things that are not considered essential businesses. We're going to put that list up for you at WSAB.com. He did make a point in saying that home improvement stores will still be opened. Also effective immediately, they are not allowing any short-term rentals or hotel reservations or resort reservations for anyone who is from one of the areas that the CDC has determined is a hotspot for COVID-19. They're probably, they're trying to prevent people from those hotspot areas from entering the state of South Carolina. We also heard from Dr. Bell, who says the state has 1,700 confirmed cases now. That audio came courtesy of NBC News affiliate WSAV, and it listed numbers that aren't current as of today. Take a listen to this reporting from WCBD from last night's news broadcast regarding DHEC's new numbers and total positive cases. The number of positive cases in our state has topped 2,000 tonight. The South Carolina Department of Health and Environmental Control has confirmed 132 new cases of coronavirus bringing the state's total to 2,049. Four more people have died, bringing the number of deaths in South Carolina to 44. DHEC reports the latest deaths involve residents of Clarendon, Ori, Beaufort, and Lee counties. In the Tri-County area, Charleston County has 274 cases and one death. Berkeley County is reporting 46 cases, Dorchester reporting 44 cases. Throughout the state, DHEC reports there are currently some 6,300 hospital beds in use, with more than 5,900 beds available. The number of hospital beds used in the state has actually dropped by almost 7% since March 20. So I'd like to take this moment to add a little bit of context to the clips we just listened to from both our local NBC News affiliate, WCBD, and the previous clip from WSAV. Um, a lot of us are waiting for Governor McMaster to issue a shelter-in-place law for the state. Um, we're the last state in the region to do so. We haven't done it yet. And a lot of folks are looking at South Carolina, looking to South Carolina to see whether or not our governor will join the ranks of over 30 other states. Um, the state newspaper has quoted Governor McMaster saying the following. Every state is different. They have different economies, different resources. They have different medical facilities. We are taking a deliberate approach to be as aggressive as we possibly can at the right time, and we're following the data and the science to do that. Now, end quote. Um, now, that came from Governor McMaster over the weekend. Again, this was his Friday press conference. And since then, we've crossed that 2,000 total positive case threshold. That was just reported in that previous clip. So a lot of folks are looking at South Carolina, and we want to see more containment. We want to see that curve be flattened. And from judging from what we heard from national news all weekend, from all the, the Sunday morning shows, 
this week, the next two weeks is poised to be one of our most difficult weeks regarding this COVID-19 fight. So all eyes are on South Carolina right now in terms of will or won't Governor McMaster issue a shelter-in-place law. I'm going to play another clip that adds a little bit even more context to why this issue is really, really troublesome. It's worrisome. So take a listen to this. This is another population that's currently at risk that we need to keep our eye on. In Charleston, an inmate at the Sheriff Al Cannon Detention Center has tested positive for COVID-19. He's been at the facility for three weeks. He was initially screened for the virus on March 30th with no issues. This past Friday, officials say the inmate started showing symptoms and was immediately isolated. The detention center learned today the inmate tested positive. As a precaution, 35 other inmates in his housing unit are now being isolated and monitored for 14 days. Perhaps uh, those who are currently incarcerated, those who are in prison or in jail, they may not be at the top of mind for all of us here, for many of us here. Um, listening to this show, but I urge you all to stay connected with this news. Um, as recently as Friday, the Island Packet printed this headline, and uh, I'm not going to read the story, but I'll read the headline. It reads, um, Beaufort County Courts Rush to Release Nonviolent Offenders as Coronavirus Spreads. So as our pr- prison populations become more and more at risk given the conditions there, this is poised to impact us because remember, it's not just the prisoners there. Um, it's not just those who are in custody. It's the people who, who clean the facility, um, administrative staff, who then return to their homes and their communities at the end of their work shift. So if the conditions in jail are um, are putting inmates at risk, it just will continually um impact our communities. So I want folks to view this through the lens of, um, a, <laughs> through a humanitarian lens. But instead of me going on and on and telling you and urging you why you should care, listen to this clip from the ACLU. Hi, my name is Amy Fedig. I'm the deputy director of the ACLU's National Prison Project. I'm here in Washington, D.C. in my home, like many of you. These are tough times, but they are especially tough times for the over 2 million people who are in our prisons and jails. Folks who are scared of the coronavirus, but really have no ability to respond on their own. Uh, Our prisons and jails in this country are overcrowded, they're filthy, they're unsanitary, and frankly, the medical care is pretty bad in the best of times. And now, well, we simply don't know enough. But I can tell you that last week when myself and a bunch of ACLU attorneys went into the state prisons in Arizona, what we found was stunning. Our clients, many did not even have soap, and they certainly didn't have enough soap. One of my clients showed me a nub of a soap bar that he was using to clean his body, his cell floor, the toilet. I thought it was important for you to hear directly from the ACLU, both at the national level and here locally at the state level. The ACLU has been the leading voice advocating for those who are currently incarcerated, whether they be at our county jails or in our prisons. Here's a clip from news that broke last week in the upstate regarding incarcerated population and the COVID-19 crisis. Listen to why it is important for us to advocate for and to really keep in mind the conditions of those who are currently incarcerated. 
Many inmates across the country are being released as a precaution against the spread of COVID-19. And more than 100 people in jails in the upstate are now free, in fact. 7 News reporter Ann Maxwell has been digging into the process behind this. Ann, fill us in. Diane, this comes after an order from South Carolina Supreme Court Chief Justice Don Beatty. It postpones trials and allows for more leniency with bond. In Greenville County, 85 inmates have been released over four days. That's according to Assistant County Administrator John Vandermosten. He said all of them were low-level offenders, and some had already been in jail close to the maximum time for their charge anyway. He said a big concern is having someone come into jail with COVID-19 and not having a place to quarantine people. He says releasing these inmates creates that space. In Anderson County, Sheriff Chad McBride says about 42 inmates have been released. Shout out to WSPA 7 News for that clip. Um, yeah, I'm going to urge you all again to reach out to, to follow, to read about the efforts being led here in South Carolina by our local um, chapter of the ACLU. They posted a, some beautiful art on their Instagram feed um, as recently as yesterday. And I just want to read a bit of the caption that was uh, posted beneath the, uh, the art. And it reads, public health experts have made clear that our leaders must take immediate steps to reduce the number of people in jails and prisons as part of their COVID-19 response efforts. And so that's what this is all about. Um, we want to contain this disease, this virus as much as possible. And in that and in those efforts, we cannot neglect our prison populations. Um, I want to pivot now to some local politics news, uh, something from the state house to watch. Take a listen. South Carolina lawmakers are expected to head back to the state house on Wednesday, but some argue it sends the wrong message. Democratic Senator Mia McLeod of Columbia says 170 lawmakers should not be meeting in one place when everybody else is asked to stay apart. Well, Democratic Senator Thomas McElveen says the session should be moved to a larger arena. Governor McMaster says he hasn't received any requests. I thought to that bit so of news was important for you to hear. It came courtesy of our local NBC News affiliate here in Charleston, WCBD. Um, I'm sure sure something COVID-19 related will emerge from this special session. Again, it's going to take place on April 8th, which is Wednesday. So keep your eyes peeled for news and updates from that special session. Um, I'm going to end today's update on a great uplifting positive note. Um, I saw a clip featured on Friday's PBS NewsHour broadcast and it caused me to do a little digging. So take a listen to this local story. I moved to Italy and I worked for Prada and then I quit and now I am starting my own business as a fashion designer. And it just so happens that maybe two to three weeks later, Corona hit Italy. And I was like, Whew, follow your gut, wherever it goes, <laughs> follow your gut. So I'm very thankful to be back in America at this time. In this video, we're gonna show you how to make a mask. Well, I saw a post by the Deaconess and I have the talent of sewing, and this is what I can do right now. I can make masks, I can make medical supplies. So there are several posts online now, tutorials of how to do this, where to get the fabrics, etc. And you basically need 100% cotton, and you need a quarter inch elastic. You sew it all up, make it happen, and you end up and you got a mask. 
in my clothes, I tend to embroider a lot and I tend to embroider powerful. Wow, such a great story. Uh, That came courtesy of the Associated Press and it featured the voice of Greer, South Carolina's own Brianna Danielle. You can find her work on Instagram. You can also put her in the Googles (laughs) and find out more about her story, you know, from Greer to Italy and Prada and back home and she's servicing her community. That's an awesome story. Um, So until next time, you all, please stay happy, stay healthy. If you want to reach out to me, please do so. You can do it via email. My email address is Tamika at CharlestonActivistNetwork.com. My um, Instagram and Twitter handles are Mika Gadsden, at Mika Gadsden. So that's M-I-K-A-G-A-D-S-D-E-N on both Instagram and Twitter. You can also find me, Tamika Chantel Gadsden on Facebook as well. So until next time, I hope you all are staying happy and healthy and I hope you're staying home. And to my Gullah Geechee folks, y'all stay black. Hold up, record scratch. Um, I was inspired by the coverage of COVID-19 um, in our daily, or excuse me, in our paper here, the Post and Courier. I was inspired to lift up uh, our foremothers and forefathers um, from all backgrounds during this fight. So I think I'm going to try to, as often as possible, invoke the name of either an African-American, Gullah Geechee, Black, Indigenous. I'm going to find, I'm going to scour the archives, I'm going to scour journals and find those who have laid the groundwork for our current day healthcare advances here in South Carolina. All too often, when we cover things like this pandemic, it's through a Eurocentric lens that's omissive. And I want to lift up the names of people like Maud Callen or Majeska Simpkins. And so I'm going to leave you with a clip about Majeska Simpkins because she was, and I quote, the director of Negro work for the South Carolina Anti-Tuberculosis Association from 1931 to 1942. Simpkins was the first black in South Carolina to hold a full-time statewide public health position. So I thought it was an important little factoid to include in today's podcast and moving forward, hopefully I can include more facts from more historic figures. Um, but until that time, enjoy this clip, and hopefully you guys will listen in tomorrow. All right, take care. Meryl Dakers explains how Simpkins' activism reached all areas. I think there are very few areas of contemporary social reform that were not touched by Majeska Simpkins. We think about her with civil rights activities for sure. She was very active in the integration of schools through her work with the Richland County Citizens Committee. But she was also an avid mental health reformer. She was very active in prison reform. She was also one of the very first African-Americans to be out there picketing for uh, environmental reform. She certainly, during her days prior to joining the NAACP, served as the state director of the Negro Tuberculosis Association. So she was active in public health reform. She's active in women's rights. She was active in governmental reform. She ran for office a couple of times. She didn't ever succeed in winning office, but she certainly raised issues and held politicians' feet to the fire to make them do or be cognizant of those issues which she felt were important to the greater community. And as she would say, she was always the champion of the underdog.